I'm Jesus. Are you dangerous? Maybe to some. If we are going to have a question and answer session, every time we do something you're not used to, it's going to be a very annoying time together for all of us. There are righteous men on the lookout for you, and they are weighing every word you say. That's not for you. This is different. Get used to different. We didn't choose him. He chose us. Oh, I really don't like that man. I was one way, and now I am completely different. So it's time. Let's go. All right, what's up, church? Hey, great to be with you all today, whether you're online or in person. Welcome to Liquid. We are in part three of our series called the Chosen, and here's the deal, it's kind of a cinematic sermon series, it's based on the life of Jesus and the Gospels and the people he chose to follow him. Now, uh, The Chosen is actually the first ever crowdfunded multi-season TV show about the life of Jesus, and I kind of laid out a challenge to our whole church. I said, this fall, what if we ditch Netflix and binge Jesus? Make some noise if you're ready to binge Jesus, all right? All right, hey, show of hands, how many have seen an episode or two now? Okay, how many have watched? Pretty good, right? Right? Our small groups are actually pairing the series with a small group Bible study. And I just want to let you know you can download the discussion guide on our website and live stream the shows for free on your phone. When you pair that with your Bible reading, guys, it really brings the gospel to life in a fresh way. Uh, last week, I thought Pastor Kyra did a fantastic job of bringing to life her favorite character, Mary Magdalene. Didn't Kyra do a fabulous job? Let's hear it for her. Muy fabuloso, mi hermana. <laughs> Well, today I got to tell you about uh, one of my favorite characters. It's a guy named Nicodemus. And can you say that? Nicodemus. Yeah, he was a devout religious teacher known as a Pharisee. And in Bible times, there were actually 6,000 Pharisees in Israel. And listen to this. Only one in all four Gospels becomes a follower of Christ. Nicodemus. Or I call him Nick for short. Today, we're going to look at Nick's story, which is found in the Gospel of John. If you want to take out your Bible, it inspired the title of my message, For God So Loved, which you might recognize from John 3, 16. It's probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible, but do you know the backstory behind those famous words? It actually came on the heels of a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3. We'll look at the first 17 verses. And then we're going to watch this scripture come to life on the big screen. The Bible says this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus when? At night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Now let's pause right there because the Bible says Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And I understand as moderns we kind of hear that word and we think it just means like a puffed up religious hypocrite. But that's not at all how Pharisees were seen in the first century. you got to understand this. In Bible times, Pharisees were spiritual rock stars. These were highly respected holy men. These were theological experts that people looked up to for advice. So they'd be like, for your equivalent, they'd be like the most popular pastor on YouTube, okay? 
or your favorite professor. See, Pharisees didn't just memorize the Torah, the Jewish scripture. They actually embodied the holiness that was required to please God. They said, you can be righteous if you follow God's laws perfectly. And that wasn't all. They actually developed a system, listen to this, of 613 religious laws, rules for holy living. This is how you gain favor with God. So it wasn't just obey the Ten Commandments, don't steal, lie, murder, you got to observe the Sabbath. They added all sorts of little details, like pouring drinking water through a strainer in case there was a gnat that was in your glass. And if you, you drank it, you'd become ritually unclean. Now, as moderns, right, we may think, like, well, these religious rituals sound kind of crazy and legalistic. But understand, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and people looked up to Pharisees. They were educated, they were wealthy, and they were influential. So Nick is at the top of the heap of Israel. And John adds this detail. He says, Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and that was called the Sanhedrin. Can you say that? The Sanhedrin. It was the Supreme Court of Israel. The Sanhedrin wrote laws. They investigated heretics. They conducted trials. So understand, Nicodemus was one of the most powerful men in Israel. There's only 71 members of the Sanhedrin. So when it came to religion, you got to get this, man. Nicodemus, man, he was like the creme de la creme. He, He was an elite Pharisee. And then he's the elite of the elite on the Supreme Court. Even Jesus calls him Israel's teacher. So Jewish people respected and looked up to him which might explain why it says he came to Jesus when church at night. I thought about titling this sermon, Nick at Night. <laughs> now, now why, did, why did Nicodemus come to see Jesus under cloak of darkness? It was interesting. Scholars kind of speculate that maybe he was embarrassed or afraid to be seen with this no-name rabbi from nowhere, Nazareth. Maybe he was worried like what people might think. Or some other scholars say maybe he was a sincere seeker of God. Maybe he wanted to authentically understand who Jesus was and actually see for himself away from the crowds in Jerusalem. Either way, the Bible says he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the what? The signs you're doing if God were not with him. Now by signs, he means miracles. See, at this point, word is spreading that Jesus is a miracle worker. People are literally like, have you, have you heard? Did you heard? Dude, I was at a party. He turned water into wine. Yeah, I saw it. He, he cleansed a leper. Did you, did you see it? It's true. It's totally true. He cast a demon out of Mary. Remember last week? Even Nicodemus couldn't help Mary. He failed at the exorcism, and Jesus did it. So, so as a religious leader on the high court, that got Nick's attention. So the chosen imagines this scene where Nicodemus witnesses a miracle firsthand. And it sparks this desire to meet Jesus face to face. Let me set the scene. It's straight out of the Bible. You probably remember this, but there was a man who was paralyzed since birth. And his friends actually ripped the roof off of a house where Jesus is, lower him in front of Jesus to see if the miracle worker can make him walk. Watch this. Rise. Pick up your bed and go home. (laughs) 
she does it. me on his two feet. You asked me before if I knew his name. Now everyone knows his name. And I fear for his safety. I mean no trouble to him. No dishonor. Your friends tried to have him arrested. They're jealous. They're afraid. But I'm not. I promise. Mary, please. I need to talk to him. I follow him, not the other way around. He doesn't tell anyone his plans. Will you ask him for a meeting in secret, under cover of night? At a place of his choosing. I don't care if it's a ravine or a cave or even a tomb. But I just need to speak to him. Please, Mary. I will try. I love how The Chosen interweaves the stories of historical characters in the Bible. If you remember last week, Nicodemus is the guy, he can't cast a demon out of Mary, and now he sees her like completely transformed. It's like she's in her right mind. Can you imagine? Like you're the head of the synagogue, man, and suddenly this little known rabbi strolls into town and, and you go investigate and, and you can't believe your eyes. It's like a paralyzed man. Everybody's known him since birth. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. And he's healed in front of your eyes. He walked right past you carrying his mat. Nicodemus is like, what is this? Who is this? What's going on here? See, Nicodemus wanted to know, are these miracles an authentic sign of God's power flowing through Jesus? I understand Nicodemus believed the Old Testament, the prophecy about the coming Messiah, that one day God was going to send a chosen one, a Messiah, to deliver Israel. He's like, could this be him? So that's why he asked to meet Jesus alone at night when everyone's asleep. He sends him a Google Cal invitation, 10.30 p.m. Let's meet one-on-one. -on -one. The Bible says he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, let's unpack this, because let's be honest, being called a born-again Christian nowadays, it conjures up a lot of negative stereotypes, right? Like for some people, being born again means like you're a, a Bible-bashing, Bible-thumping, you know, fundamentalist. Or maybe you're born again, you think, oh, that's political conservatives. 
For others, it means maybe you were converted at a Billy Graham crusade, right? Like you came forward to the, you had a born again experience. But these are modern stereotypes that create confusion. And Nicodemus was confused too. Look what he asked Jesus in verse four. He says, how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Now he's getting more specific. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying, you must be what church? Born again. So Jesus says, I got news here, Nicodemus. <laughs> you don't get to heaven by being a good person or doing good deeds. And that news would have like shocked Nicodemus's ears. I mean, he's a religious expert in the law. If anybody is going to heaven, it's Nicodemus. <laughs> he had a level of self-righteousness that no like ordinary Jew could touch. This guy memorized the Torah. He observed the Sabbath. He led worship in the temple. This guy ran the church. He tithed. He kept 613 laws. He dedicated his whole life to teaching people. The way into the kingdom of God is by doing the right thing. Good deeds, righteous living. That's what gets God's favor. And Jesus is like, yeah, nope. That ain't how God keeps score. What? Yeah. Plenty of good people go to hell. Good deeds aren't enough, Nicodemus, to get anybody into heaven. You've actually been wrong your whole life. So, so how do you get in, Jesus? And Jesus says, it's something else entirely. You must be born again. There must be this radical transformation from within where God changes your heart and gives you an entirely new operating system. It's like control-alt-delete. It's a reboot. And understand, salvation is all God's doing. He supernaturally reboots you with his Holy Spirit. And your good works ain't got nothing to do with it. Sound crazy? I mean, it did to Nicodemus. Do you understand Jesus' analogy here? Let me put it this way. Quick show of hands. Uh, how many of you were born? Just raise your hand if you were born. Okay? Good. Okay. Good. Good. A few of you didn't raise your hand. You're not so sure. All right. Uh, when you were born, what role did you play in it? Like, like what did you do to be born? W what was your part? Nothing, right? It's like, it's like a crazy question. You, you didn't choose to be born. It just happened to you. you. You contributed nothing to your physical birth. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, just like you did nothing to be born physically, you can do nothing to be spiritually reborn. Salvation is a totally supernatural work of God from start to finish. And, and maybe that's like startling to your ears. You may be like, wait a minute, didn't, I, I chose Jesus. I raised my hand. I came forward. No, no, no. He chose you to be born again or born from above into God's family. And it's a work in which you and I play no role. You are chosen by God. You are conceived by his love. Being born again or saved is a supernatural work of God, which means it obliterates all works righteousness. It means all your good deeds, man, all your religion, all your sacraments, your ceremony, worthless. They don't qualify you for eternal life with God. And to somebody like Nick, who dedicated his whole life to being a good guy, a moral person, man, this must have blown his mind. Let's watch. 
Thank you for agreeing to meet. Thank you for trying to help Mary when you did. It was no help. You were meant to be there. Me? So I could fail miserably at an exorcism in the Red Quarter? <laughs> if you had not been there that day, would you be on this roof tonight? I don't know where to start. I have so many questions. I... Shall we sit first? Oh, yes, of course. slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <sighs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know, I know. Can you imagine? Like, you dedicate your whole life to please God. You, you, you go to the right schools. You observe all these rules and religious rituals. You give money to the poor. You pray six times a day. If anybody is stockpiling good deeds, it's old Nicodemus. And Jesus says to this old teacher, he says, you must be born again. You got to go through a process just wiping the whole slate clean and admitting that even your best efforts contain the hidden sin of pride and self-righteousness. And you got to get to this, this helpless state where you humble yourself before God and let him turn you into a new creation. 
You gotta let him cleanse the hidden sin in your heart and saturate you with his love and then fill you with his Holy Spirit. Do you get why Nicodemus was at a loss for words? No one had ever spoken such an outrageous idea in Israel's history. When you wanted to approach God, you actually had to go to the temple and pay money and the priest performed a sacrifice. So to be made right with God, it cost you. You literally paid for it. You give alms to the poor. You promise to do better. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. Guys, when the Bible says must, you got to pay attention. <laughs> you got to lean in. Unless the Spirit of God does something supernatural in your heart, you remain spiritually lifeless. It's just dead religion. But true salvation is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus explains it. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everybody born of what? The Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is like wind. Have you ever seen the wind? No, you haven't. <laughs> you can't. It's invisible, right? You see the effects of the wind. You, you see trees moving in the wind. You can see the Holy Spirit moving in someone's life. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus is like, bro, you are Israel's teacher, <laughs> And you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you, oh, this is important, of earthly things and you don't believe. Then how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And then Jesus says this, listen to this. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. In other words, he's saying Moses didn't go to heaven, Ezekiel didn't go to heaven, Isaiah didn't go to heaven, even though they were righteous. Remember, Jesus hasn't died yet. This is pre-crucifixion. He said, I'm the only one who's ever been to heaven. I'm going to make a way. So now he starts talking theology with Nicodemus. He, he wants to connect with him. He's an Old Testament teacher, and he says, you, you don't get this, so let me give you an example from your Bible, the Old Testament. And in verse 14, Jesus says this. Listen to this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have what? Eternal life in him. See, in the Old Testament, there's a story of Israel wandering in the wilderness and there are these poisonous snakes that come into the camp and start biting everybody. And so people are, they're dying, they're snake bit. And what God does is he tells Moses to hang a bronze snake on a pole and hold it up in the middle of the camp. And he says, the way it works is anyone who looks up at the snake at the pole will be healed. And it worked. <laughs> People who were snake, but they look up at the pole and they're saved. And Jesus was like, Nicodemus, in the same way, I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. And when I am, every single person poisoned by sin will be saved when they look to me. Just as Moses, you feel it? Lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. It's this beautiful story and picture of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, where the poison of our sin is canceled, but then his righteousness, Jesus' perfection, is given to us. It's our only way of new life with God. 
And see, in this moment, Jesus is revealing something in Nicodemus. He reveals the purpose of his coming. He says, I'm on a rescue mission. What's the mission? You know it. It's summed up in these famous words from John 3, 16. You probably know them. Let's, let's read them out loud together, church. Ready? Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And John adds, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? I love that the chosen imagines John just kind of eavesdropping and he's like writing down the words that we're reading right now. So Jesus gives Nick this invitation. He's like, will you leave behind your dead religion of works for a relationship with the living God of grace? 
Religion or relationship? That's the choice Jesus gives Nicodemus, and he gives you. It's the choice he gives me. And what's the difference between religion and relationship? You stick around a church long enough, you hear that. We don't want religion, we want a relationship. What's the difference between good works and God's grace? Let me illustrate. Um, when I graduated college, I got my first job as an English teacher. It was like my first adult job with like an adult salary. And so I leased a new car. I told you about like the hoopty I had in high school. But now that I have a salary, I released a 1996 Volkswagen Jetta. I love that car, man. It, it, was, it was black on black. And here's the thing. I would wash it every weekend. I'd, I'd literally like wash it on Saturday, drive it during the week, wash it again on Saturday, drive it during the week. Sometimes I'd even splurge at the car wash and I'd, I'd pay to get the shiny wheel wash, you know, where it makes the tires like shine. And I'd like armor all the dashboard and just sort of like dazzled, you know, when I drove it all over town. It's like so proud of that car, man. I was, I was living my best life. But one day after school, I'm driving and suddenly it starts bucking. I'm like, just, it starts bucking, it starts bucking, like, like it was going to stall out. And so I took it to the mechanic and uh, the mechanic asked me, he said, hey, when was the last time you changed the oil? <laughs> like I hadn't learned from high school. And I, said, and I said, no, 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 I'm sorry. This is a Volkswagen Jetta. It's no maintenance. That was one of the selling points they told me about that. Uh, you don't have to change the oil or fluids or anything. <laughs> and he laughed and said, no, no, no. It's not no maintenance, it's low maintenance. <laughs> you still got to change the oil and the fluids, but since you ignore that, congratulations, instead of new oil, you need a new engine. You actually fried two of the cylinders in this thing. You see, I'd been keeping the outside looking beautiful washing and waxing the outside and totally neglecting the inside, which is what really mattered. Like, looking back, I, I don't know how I missed this. Nobody ever told me, Tim, the whole point is the inside. It's the engine that drives the car. Guys, Nicodemus spent his whole life washing and polishing his car. His car was prettier than everyone's, cleaner, better than everybody else's car, and no one ever told him it's the inside that matters until this moment. Jesus said, don't worry about the outside. Stop worrying about your religious performance and your behavior. It's the inside that counts. Have you been born again, born from above, radically transformed by the Holy Spirit in your heart? Watch clean of your sin and pride, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Do you see why Jesus threatened the Pharisees? By this time, Judaism was a religion of dead works. It looked like my jet. It was all nice and shiny on the outside. But inside, their hearts were cold and lifeless. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There was no authentic love of Christ and no warmth of the Spirit. In Luke 11, Jesus said to them, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Like, guys, I just read this, and can I just say, I get afraid. I fear that some of us, we're like Nicodemus Christians, polishing our halos on the outside. You know, maybe you go to church, you say a prayer or two, you, you sing a song on Sunday, but reality is you're just going through the motions. Your heart's not in it. It's cold, and you feel far from God. Can I just lovingly tell you, with all the love as your pastor, you're settling for the same thing as Nicodemus, a dead religion of works. You may be like, Tim, man, I, that's, I, I feel convicted. Guys, I feel convicted <laughs> as your pastor. 
Like I'm reading this this week and it's like, I'm a church leader like Nicodemus. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit convicted me as I read this and I was like, man, how much of my relationship with God actually relies on the fact that I'm a pastor? Like I preach sermons, I lead a church, I do this for a living and none of it qualifies me for heaven. You get that? Like my self-righteousness on my best day is like filthy, worthless rags in the sight of a holy God. So newsflash, like when I die, I'm not going to go to heaven where they say, oh, here, here's Tim. He's a professional Christian. <laughs> no, he had this church in New Jersey. Let him in. <laughs> Guys, if God says to you, and he may, why should I let you into my heaven? My only answer is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because I believe he bled and died for me. He was lifted up on that cross for me. And I'm trusting only in the righteousness of Jesus alone, his blood for salvation. Can I, can I just say, like, if you have any other answer for why God should let you into heaven, oh, I'm sorry. If you're like, I'm, I tried to live a good life or keep my nose clean, you are relying on your own righteousness. And Jesus is going to say, I'm sorry, I never knew you. Jesus replied, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are, say it, church, born Again, you must be born again. Do you hear the Spirit speaking? I know he's speaking to some of you. If he is, don't harden your heart right now. The invitation is simple. Like if you realize, man, I'm trusting in your own self-righteousness to earn God's favor, like Nick, you too must be born again. You have to trade in your dead religion of works for a relationship of grace with the living God. That's the invitation Jesus gives Nicodemus. It's the invitation he gives to Tom and to Janet. It's the invitation Jesus makes to you. You must be born again and follow Jesus like Nicodemus did. Watch this. Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students I said, she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her. And here you are, the healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me. See more. Are you? Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I, I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life, to, to give up who I am. It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. 
Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter at dawn. Kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and wonder. You can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. thousand Pharisees and only one in the entire Bible gave his life to Christ. Nicodemus. He was willing to walk away from a life of religious performance, follow Jesus, and be born again. Can I ask, have you? Have you been born again? Like, I know the Spirit's speaking to some hearts right now. He's speaking to somebody. And I, I love how personal Jesus made this for Nick. And I want to make it personal for you. You know, John 3.16 is it's famous for a reason. Because it's, it's God's plan of salvation in a nutshell. You know, if you've ever wondered, like, how do I be born again? How do I have my sins forgiven in the hope of heaven when I die? This is it. For God so loved the world, let's say it together, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the gift Nicodemus received. Have you received that from God? Like, have you publicly opened your heart and said, I believe. I, I don't, now I'm not saying I, I, I believe in God or just I believe Jesus was a historical person or that he loved the world. You say, I believe he died and you rose for me. I want you to make this personal. In fact, I want you to read this verse out loud and put your name in it. For God so loved Latasha. For God so loved Kathy, Jonathan, Lisa. Put your name in it. Make it personal. Let's read it out loud wherever you are. I want you to read it with a big voice, but you put your name. You ready? Here we go. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son that if believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life life. This is a salvation moment for someone here. If, if you, I'm just saying, man, I feel it. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're about to be born again. God's saying, I've chosen you for salvation. He created you for this moment. He'll give you a new heart, a new life right now. If you'll ask him, 
I know the Spirit's speaking, so let's just bow our heads and pray wherever you are. Let's bow our heads. Father, right now, there are people who are ready to be born again into the family of God through faith in your Son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now you are stirring. It is all your work. It is a supernatural act. We contribute nothing. We can only receive it. And right now, if you're here or you're watching online, if that's you, you want to be born again, I want you to stand to your feet wherever you are. At any location, I want you to just stand to your feet. You may be online at home in your living room or apartment. I want you to stand up. I want you to receive this gift from God because Jesus died for you. He loves you. And if you want to be born again, you want that promise of sins forgiven, the hope of heaven when you die, I want you to stand to your feet and pray this prayer out loud with me. Just open your hands like this. Just open your hands and say, Jesus, I want to be born again. Make me brand new. I believe you died for me. Take my sin. I turn from it. I turn from my good works. I believe you shed your blood. So forgive me and Holy Spirit, come into my heart and reboot me. I want to be born again. Jesus, I believe you are raised to life and you can raise me too. I give you my life. I'll follow you forever. In the name and the power of Jesus, everybody said together, amen. Church, would you welcome new believers to the family of God? Praise God for you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you've been born again. Let's worship, church. Wherever you are, stand up for worship. Come on, let's stand together, everybody.